There are business leaders that are making so much more than profit in their enterprises. They're elevating their businesses, teams and themselves to add more value. And so can you. Welcome to the Chris Cooper Business Elevation Show with host Chris Cooper. If you were looking for ways to elevate success while contributing to a better world, you'll want to listen in for the next hour. Now here's your host, Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper and a huge welcome to the Business Elevation Show on Voice America. Wonderful to be back with you for uh, yes, another week. And uh, we've got a fascinating show again with a, another wonderful guest uh, in Laura McInerney. And I'm going to introduce you to her shortly. We're going to talk about the power of surveys and and Laura's got some incredible experience when it comes to blogging as well. So it seems uh, a great opportunity to uh, get a few tips on how to blog as well. Um, before I do that, um, I usually like to say a big thank you to last week's guest, um, uh, but actually the guest was me because I was interviewed last week by uh, John Jennings, who I'll say um, thanks to John. Uh, John um, was um, my um, was my associate director in um, Chris Cooper Business Elevation, and um, John interviewed me on how to give and receive feedback. I'm having written a a small book recently for for clients and and done a number of seminars on giving and receiving feedback. It seemed you know an opportune moment just to share you know some of the lessons and learnings and thoughts that I have and also John had on how to manage that uh, that uh, quite quite sort of complex area in some respects of feedback because it's one of those areas where we can we can by doing it well we can really empower people and we can make a huge difference in their life and their development and um, but do it do it badly or, or get it wrong and uh, you can cause offense you can end up with different difficult scenarios with people so we talked about the you know the different types of feedback and the different strategies around giving feedback and how to do it um, as effectively as possible last week so if you're interested in that you find feedback important and just an interesting um, thing that I'd learned while studying for feedback was that there'd been a study um, in America last year of about 57 um, quite significant companies. And in analyzing the, the performance of those companies, it was realized that the single most um, important factor was having a performance feedback culture. Um, so that's why um, I think it's very important. And with my work around uh, leadership and engagement, um, feedback is an important aspect of that. And something that we're not necessarily you know, taught how to do or learn how to do. So if you're interested in that, do go back into the archive and do have a listen to the show. And thanks for all those people who sent me feedback on the show it was really appreciated so let's talk about surveys so how do you use surveys powerfully to build your business or do you have you considered using them now my guest today Laura McInerney is an investigative journalist and she's co-founder of the daily survey platform TeacherTap now, Laura's background included six years in working as a teacher in London high schools. And uh, during that journey, she had her ribs broken. She had her classroom set on fire uh, before winning a Teacher of the Year award. Uh, she's a formidable blogger. She was actually taken to court by the UK Education Secretary for asking to see documents that exposed government incompetence. Yet... Three years later, she walked away with the information and uh, became a columnist for the Guardian newspaper and editor of the investigative paper Schools Week. She now runs Teacher Tap, that's Teacher, and then Tap is T A P, which is a daily survey platform that she co founded with Professor Becky Allen. 
and it's the largest daily survey of teachers in the UK. It provides unique insights for the £30 billion education sector here, and it's a pioneer for micro-learning among professionals. Now, Laura regularly public speaks. She's also a broadcaster, some uh, among um, lots of experience here, um, often appearing on the BBC, Sky News. She's co-author of The Leadership Factor, which is a book. So let's talk about surveys, how to do them effectively. Let's get some expert tips. But I'd like to also explore Laura's fascinating personal history and, and life experience as well. So we can, we can learn from them too. So a huge welcome to Laura McInerney. Hello. Thank you for having me on. You're very, very welcome. Lovely to have you. And, and where, whereabouts are you, you based and, uh, and where does McInerney come from? So McInerney is an Irish name and it has a capital I in the middle. And unfortunately, some years ago, whoever came up with font formatting decided that capital I would look the same as a small L in fonts. So what we've ended yeah. up with is a situation where uh, McInerney looks like McInerney, but it is in fact an Irish name. And I now live in London. Excellent. So were you brought up in Ireland or have you been here for since it all began? I wasn't. Like uh, many people with Irish names, I was actually raised in Liverpool in the north of England. So uh, lots of people came over, including my family, uh, from Ireland to Liverpool, and that's where I actually grew up. Excellent. Oh, well, my wife's, uh, my wife's from that kind of area and a, and a Liverpool fan, which... Uh, which is interesting because we're, we're Leicester fans, myself and my boys, so we have a, a little bit of banter with my wife occasionally. What were your experiences like of teaching in London high schools and why might it be wise to, not to travel on a bus with you? Um, so I absolutely loved being a teacher. I still think it's one of the best jobs that you can you can possibly do. But I did teach in what was quite a challenging school. So I think, as you mentioned at the top there, I had my ribs broken in my first year when I was teaching. I had my classroom set on fire. I had chewing gum put in my lock. Uh, they tried to explode my kettle that I'd kept in a, in a cupboard at one point. And then uh, I was in not one but two bus accidents within the first year. I mean, the next five years of teaching went absolutely smoothly and nothing happened at all. But um, I did get known for being the teacher that if you get on the bus trip with her, you do need to make sure that you tie yourself in because in the first instance, we were on the way to a theme park and our bus went into the back of a big high-sided vehicle, a big DHL lorry. And the second time around, our minibus was hit by a 60-seater bus full of exchange students. So, yeah, I don't have the greatest of look with that one. <laughs> I must be friends. Anyway, you're still here. So actually, maybe with that experience that you've had, you'd probably be a good person to be sat next to. But I hope it never happens to you again. <laughs> No, and actually the, the learning point was if you are ever in an accident uh, with anybody, but particularly with children and particularly actually as part of a business outing, well, the thing to be careful of is social media because people immediately start uploading photographs or start you know, getting people all het up. And, and having had the experience of the first one, it meant the second time I handled that much more smoothly. I bet. I bet. So um, tell us a little bit about you know, how your passion for blogging led you into hot water with the UK Education Secretary. I mean, that must have been uh, quite a, a challenging time for you being taken to court. Yeah, it was very odd. So I was, a, as you say, a classroom teacher. I did that for six years, absolutely boppling along and thought it was the greatest job and it was what I was going to do forever. And then I took a step out of school just for a year to do some studying. And I wanted to look at charter schools in America and a policy called free schools in England, which were 
when governments allow absolutely anybody to apply to open a new school and they do so on a contract. And that happens in all across the US, it happens across England, the UK, and actually all across the world, New Zealand and many different countries. And I wanted to see the application forms that were put in by people who wanted schools and the decision letters, which again, across the US, that is something that would be open to anybody who applied to see them. And I wanted to do that really because we could start to see how the policy was unfolding, whether the government was making good decisions. And for some reason at the time, which I didn't fully understand, I was blogging about it. I was saying this is what I was doing. And then I get this letter back from the education secretary saying they're not going to give me the information. And I took that to an independent judge who told the government they had to provide me with the information. And so the government decided to take me to court for being vexatious, which is a lovely British word for being a bit of trouble and that I was sort of malintended. And that meant I had to go to court. It was an oral hearing and in front of judges defend myself and my character and why I should be given the right to information like any citizen would normally be given. It was absolutely terrifying, I will be honest. Oh, my goodness. And I mean, what did you, what did you learn from that? Um. Well, one is never to give up. It took about two and a half years, I think, for the first court case to come through. And then we actually had to go through subsequent rounds of appeals. So it was about a four-year process. And often, you know, courts are not easy to deal with, I think, anywhere in the world. And you just have to really stick at it. And you have to remember that when lawyers are doing their job, they are often there to try and win their case. And if they're against you, that can mean they will write some things that are not easy to hear about yourself. And in the end, there was absolutely no suggestion. The judge said there was no way that I was actually being vexatious or malintended. But when it's in somebody's interest to make you look that way, then you have to continuously remind yourself why you're doing things and surround yourself by good people who will support you. And remember that this is just a point of principle and it's not about you as a person. But that's far easier said than done. It really is. Yeah. Well, it seems, um, seems, you know, it seems like they, they it almost feels like they had something to hide rather than, um, you know, if they didn't want to, to give you access to it. It seems a strange one, but I guess we probably shouldn't go into the, the details behind that. So tell me, you, you Well, I mean, in the end, up... they, did, they did find that. Did they? So, so in the end, we... we did find that it was incompetence, yeah, from the government's behalf, and that's why they didn't want to give the documents over. So it was all a bit Erin Brockovich, frankly. Um, and I think if people ever do find themselves in a situation where it seems that someone is behaving strangely, it is often because there is some kind of cover-up. I think I'm um, well, very, you know, full respect to you for you know, seeing that through, and uh, I'm sure... You know, you're probably a stronger person having uh, been through that experience. But you, that led on to, you know, you set up TeacherTap. And I just wonder if you, want to, if you want to explain to people what TeacherTap is and how it brings value. Sure. So on the back of the court case, it was very difficult to go back into school. So at the time, there was a new investigative newspaper starting called Schools Week. And it needed somebody with the school experience to come in and help run it. And although... Uh, as I said earlier, I'd never wanted to work in journalism and journalism was not something that was really on my radar. It ended up being a nice home for me and I became the editor there within 13 weeks of starting. 
and we ran an investive paper for three years. And every single week, we were trying to get new content to look into what was happening with the schools to see where the government was doing things well, but also where they weren't to expose that. And actually, I do think that journalism provides a really important public service by going out and spending time to find things that if you as a teacher or a citizen, you wanted to find out and had unlimited time and power, they're the things that you would go and investigate. So we did that on the citizen's behalf. As I was at Schools Week, of course, one of the things I was charged with was every week writing these blogs and then editorials for the paper in which I would have to comment on what was happening that week. And like any, I think, business owner or person who's a public commenter, you have to try and work out what people are thinking. And you do that by looking at your friendship groups, by reading social media, by looking around. But actually, you're only ever seeing a sliver of reality. It doesn't matter how far-reaching you think your groups and networks are, you're always going to be missing some people. So when Professor Becky Allen, who at the time was running the Education Data Lab in the UK, looking at how data was being used on pupils, said that she wanted to start a survey for teachers... I said to her, that sounds amazing. Is there any chance I could work with you on it? Because if when a news story breaks and a politician says teachers believe X, we could survey them and within 24 hours we could get a representative sample of thousands of teachers to tell us what they truly think, then my editorials and my blogging is going to be much more accurate. It's going to give a much better picture. And it means those voices that sometimes get missed because someone like me in a newsroom isn't speaking to those groups will finally get their voices heard. And so two years ago, two and a half years ago now, um, Becky and I joined forces with a third person, Alex Weatherall, who does our tech. And we built this platform called TeacherTap, which is an app. Teachers answer three questions a day on it. And uh, and it makes a massive difference. We're able to blog some of the most recent, accurate thoughts on their voices. And when something happens in politics, we're able to respond really quickly. In fact, just last week, the UK are about to have a general election. It was a surprise. And it suddenly popped up out of nowhere. And it's meant that schools are going to be used as the places where people will go and cast their vote. And they're going to have to close for a day in December. And that means loads of schools which have got plays and nativities and choir, carol concerts already were having those cancelled we got the teachers on the app to tell us where those cancellations were happening and because the government could see that so many schools probably over a thousand schools were going to be disrupted within a couple of days the education secretary came out and said he had cash available so that any local government that needed to change its venue would have that covered so that christmas wasn't going to be cancelled i mean just an incredible example of teacher voice doing its thing through a survey wow you must feel pretty proud with that I'm just, I'm really chuffed that teachers are being listened to and it doesn't solve the problem in every case. You know, cancellations have already happened or whatever, but how amazing that politicians can't hide anymore, that those thousand teachers were able to say within 24 hours, this is a problem for us and that politician could go back and respond. It, it shows you what collective voice can do through the power of surveys. Yeah, and so it's amazing that you, you've created this platform for people to be able to, you know, get, share their their point of view or their sort of situation and um, and actually very quickly to be acted upon. Um, sounds very powerful. 
Yeah, and I think that it's also helping um, education businesses because quite often they want to speak with teachers. Just like any business, you need to speak to your customers, find out what their pain points are, find out how you can solve them. And that can be really difficult if the people that you're speaking with are in a profession where they don't sit at a desk most of the day. They're not on the telephone a lot of the day. Whereas because this app is on their phone, it goes once a day at 3.30, Three questions pop up, the teachers answer it within the next 24 hours, it takes just a couple of minutes, and then they get to see the results. It keeps everybody informed, it keeps everybody interested, and it means those businesses that have otherwise struggled to do surveys are now able to get that information just like the politicians were. So it's, re- it's become a sort of a dream come true, both from a newspaper perspective, but also I think for helping many, many other people within the sector as well. That's amazing, it's amazing. So how, how do you see this relationship between blogging surveys um, really working. I mean, I think that's probably a good example you just shared, actually. But, um, you know, there is a very clear relationship there between the the blog and the surveys and and I guess the way that that provides content and and, and the survey enables you to get to people quickly. But what what do you see as being the, the powerful connection? Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, I started blogging actually at university, so so nearly 20 years ago, but I, I also um, was blogging as a teacher. So I think I started something like dailyteachingtips.com in a fit of enthusiasm. And of course, that fizzled out within about three weeks. Mm-hmm. Then I started doing irregular blogging from about 2010 onwards. And it was always hard to come up with good concepts of what you could be writing about. You are, as I say, often speaking on behalf of a group of people. You want to stay in tune with everybody, but how do you know whether you're getting it right? And so what I think surveys do is they enable you to find out what content do your readers want. You can look at your analytics to see what people are responding to, but surveys can also help you put their voice in and there's a reason why newspapers all across the world will run surveys as a story two or three stories usually in their pages it's because it represents what readers are really thinking and feeling so for me the blogging is always a way of being able to get across your trust your credibility your the information to your readers but if you can do that in combination with surveys then it gives you new content ideas you can be more accurate and also it gives voice to your readers or your communities Excellent. So did you pretty much, if you do a survey, would you then write a blog, blog around it or, or does the blog come first? No, uh, it can go either way, really. But on a Monday every week now over at TeachTap, we blog a whole variety of what we found from the week before. So we'll yeah. tend to, to go backwards. We'll look back at what we found and we'll highlight some interesting points. Yesterday, for example, we were asking teachers of all of these words, which do you think that if I went and asked a child in your class, they would use about you? You know, bossy. Um, Most people (laughs) picked kind because they like to think of themselves as kind. And that one was actually quite substantially further forward. So I think possibly a future one for us now will be why does kindness matter so much to teachers? And we might even go and test it out. We should probably pull some kids out and see if it's actually true. That's great. That's one of my my favorite subjects, kindness. I think it's a really 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 important we've covered that once or twice now on the on the show um i'm um, interested just we've got probably a couple of minutes to commercial break but any any tips for us on blogging successfully yeah i think one of the things to do is whenever you're sitting down with a blog think before you start writing about what you want the audience to come away with and in particular goes back to something you might have learned in your english high school lessons which is are you trying to inform are you trying to entertain 
or are you trying to persuade? And people will say, well, I want to do all three, and I'm sure you do. But if you're informing, then you need to think very, very carefully about your explanations and which two or three facts you want people to go away with. If you're trying to entertain people, then you're going to think more carefully about the examples that you're giving, maybe some jokes. You're going to want to bring in more images. And so you begin with that levity. And if you're persuading, then you're going to have to build people up to a certain point so that they go away absolutely convinced of your argument. And those are all slightly different structures. And I think if you can know at the beginning what you're trying to do and which facts you want them to go away with, sort of what feeling you want them to go away with, or which argument you want them to go away with, that helps helps bring your point together before you sit down and start writing. Otherwise, you're just sort of a bit too scattergun. And when people get to your blog, they won't feel the value that you want them to feel. Also, most people are only going to go away remembering one or two killer points. So hammer those points as hard as you can in your blog and make sure you, that, that they are repeated over and over again. Excellent. And do you ask people to respond to blogs? Do you, do you set up a mechanism yeah, by so which they can do that? In terms of comments and things? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I did. And, and I've always been someone who did read a lot about the comments, but that is something you have to steal yourself for. And you have to be ready that do you want that level of engagement? Some people, when they blog, they just put it out there and they don't engage with the comments at all. And they don't want to know what anybody else says about it. And I respect that as an opinion and choice to do. For me, the reason I blogged was because I wanted to get reaction. I wanted to learn from other people. And it was in those comments originally in my early blogs that I learned about information rights, that I learned that I could go to the courts, I learned that I could appeal and, and get the information that I eventually got from the government. So there is something to be said about letting people comment on your blogs, but if you know it's going to wind you up, you don't have to do it. No matter what anybody says, blogging, social media is always a pick your own adventure. And if your rule is you're just going to blog once a month and you're comfortable without any comments on there, then it's better to do that than not do it at all because you're afraid of the comments. Excellent. Well, on that note, we're going to go to commercial break. We're going to, after the break, we're going to start talking more about surveys and how to use uh, surveys politely. So politely, how to use surveys smartly, and uh, and and you know, glean some um, some ideas and some thoughts about how you can really utilise surveys very effectively within your business. We'll be back again with you in just a couple of minutes. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential? Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. Support includes the opportunity to join a high return group mentoring and mastermind program called the Achiever Program. One-to-one -one mentoring and coaching, facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. 
From the boardroom to you. Voice America Business Network. tuned into the business elevation show with your host chris cooper if you have a question or comment about our show please direct your emails to chris at chriscooper.co.uk that's chris at chriscooper.co.uk now back to chris cooper hi this is chris cooper i'm with uh, laura mckinney and we're talking about surveys and we're talking about blogging and um, i've been very saying getting to know Laura a little bit and finding out about Teacher Tap. I've been really impressed with the way that uh, Laura and the team uh, and Becky utilize services, just um, surveys just so smartly and uh, have actually made a you know business out of it. And I just wonder sort of generally, Laura, why, you know, um, why people do you, th- you think, you know, generally across business should use surveys more? Um, because, uh, you know, I guess not everybody's going to use it as uh, being a being a business as such, but they, in in the course of doing business, it could be a very helpful tool, couldn't it? Yeah, for sure. And I think everybody's asking questions all the time. If you're working in business, you're never getting through a day where you're not asking questions of people, ideally of your customers to find out what their needs are. But you might also be asking your staff to find out how happy they are or what you can do to incentivize their work. And what we've really done with TeachTap is just by asking three questions every day, and we've done that for two and a half years, you start to see which questions are useful which questions like people like being asked, which questions they respond very well to. So I think, it, you know, questions are a stock in trade for absolutely everybody, no matter what business you're in. But not all questions have been, have been created equal. That's the way that we'd probably think about it. So, for instance, we know that if you ask people, do you want an item? Would you like us to supply you with fresh fruit in the office, for example? Everybody's going to say yes, pretty much. And that's because the trade-off is a world in which you don't get something or a world in which you do. And even if you're not going to eat the fresh fruit, you'd rather the option was there if it's no different to you than it wasn't going to be there. Even if you're only going to eat fruit once a year, you would rather have that option than not. So it's not always a very good question to ask people what they would like. Much better is to ask people today, have you eaten any fresh fruit? Or when you're at home, do you eat fresh fruit? And that will tell you whether or not they've got an appetite for the thing that you're offering. If you were to learn that it's something that they enjoy um, when they do it, it was something that they do often when they get the chance, then yeah, by all means, supply people with fresh fruit. It might be something that really incentivizes them and pleases them. But otherwise, you've got to be careful about how you, um, how you present that question. Likewise, we find that if you are going to ask about the future, so something that people would like, try and build trade-offs in. So we will quite often say, imagine a workplace where you work really, really long hours. But in the case of schools, the behavior is really good. In the case of an office, you might say, but you have really, really collegiate colleagues. You get on extremely well. Or would you rather work in an office where your hours are very, very short, but you're not friends with anybody in the office and you don't speak to anybody? And that will start to tell you what people value in their workplace. And that helps then to know what sort of culture you should be building. Yeah, it make, makes uh, a lot of sense. You got, what you got me thinking about with... Uh, uh, with the the point there about how to to phrase questions, and it probably comes back to, you know, my my thought came back to the gov- government again. I, I just wonder whether <clears throat> sometimes with government surveys, I remember 
my, my wife's a, a GP and in the UK there was sort of communication going out to patients from from government saying you know do you want your surgery doctor's surgeries to be open you know for longer during the day you know would you like them for you know for 12 hours a day Saturdays and Sundays and you know, what came out of that was people said you know yes we want them open so the government says you know, you've got to open your practices much longer because when people start to open practices much longer that they find is there are there are times where nobody actually comes in um, so I just wonder if it actually the, the, the wrong question has been asked. Yeah, because again, this is a world in which would I rather have the opportunity to consume something all day, every day, 365 days a year? Of course I would, because then if I need it on the off chance, it's going to be there for me. But what they've not said in that question when they were asking, would you like it to be open for 24 hours is how often will you actually use it? Or is it the case that the majority of people will still choose to visit their doctors at least within, you know, a a reasonable set of hours, maybe early morning, 8 a.m. till 8 p.m.? They're not likely to be going to the doctors just on a whim at 11 o'clock at night. So that's where that question isn't necessarily the best type of question. And if you'd have asked people for a forced future, so you might have said, would you, you know, there's two doctor's surgeries you can sign up to. One is open 24 hours, but you're never able to book an appointment and you always have to turn up. Or one is only open 8 a.m. to 8 p.m., but you will be able to book an appointment. You start to see what's important to people and you get those trade-offs. So that that works really, really nicely for thinking up your surveys, uh, questions for your employees or for your customers. I suppose what's... uh what's coming through my mind is and maybe i'm being a bit cynical here but there's uh, you know either it could have been that the the question determined the policy or that the policy was decided and uh, and the the evidence uh, needed to be found to justify it <laughs> yeah and that's one of the well that's genuinely one of the biggest problems is as particularly within business you quite often have a product that you want to try and sell to people so under the guise of asking questions you go out to say to people well what do you think of this and in part what you're trying to do is convince people that it's a good idea well in that case, then, you're not really asking the questions, and usually the other person is going to know that, and you're better off just asking them simple questions, again, about what they already do and presenting what your alternative is rather than trying to hem it in through questions. Um, but if you are genuinely asking, try and stay away from your present solution and even telling people that you've got it because they'll always want it or they'll tell you they want it, but they won't necessarily want to buy it, and instead just find out how do they currently solve problems and how might they solve them if presented with options in the future. Excellent. Now you mentioned to me when we were planning this interview that we should be, we, we should sort of focus our surveys in the present rather than talking about the future. Do you want to just explain what you meant by that? Yeah. So again, if you, ideally you want to find out what people did this week or today in order to find out how they actually already behave because that's going to tell you much more than their guesses about the future. If you have to go into the future, give them trade-offs, but even more powerful will be something like um, if you're creating a platform for schools, which is something we get a lot, we will ask teachers, did you use a laptop in your school today? And when that number is incredibly low, which it often is, much, much lower than people expect it to be, because it's actually quite difficult for teachers to give every child a device, 
then you know that if you're creating a software platform, you can't just assume that every teacher is going to have a laptop or every child is going to have a device. You need to deal with the fact that the reality on the ground is that actually most people aren't dealing with technology every single day in their classrooms. Another one for us is also don't try and get people to remember too far back. We asked people how many hours a day they were working every day for a week. Then we waited a couple of days and then we asked them to tell us how many hours they'd worked for the entire week before. When you compare the two answers, so adding up all of the individual days, that one was 50 hours per week the average person had worked. But if you ask them, how many hours did you work last week, the average was 54. So they'd gone up nearly 10% in their estimation when they were asked to look back just one week and guess their work hours. So if you ask a question like, over the last year, on average, how many hours have you been working? The accuracy is going to be very, very low. So you're better off thinking about what did your employees or what did your customers do today or maximum over the last week? Anything beyond that could be wildly inaccurate. Um, that's really helpful. What what's, um, do you think, uh, from your experience, is, is best to, um, to utilize when it comes to questioning uh, you know, things like open questions, closed questions, multiple choice. How do you find the, you know, the best structure for your surveys? What have you found? What's... So we only do multiple and single choice on our app, and it's just three questions, which is obviously really quite limited. We don't do grid or rank questions. And the simple fact is those just take a lot more time. So people do get bored with surveys, and they get a bit fed up, and they'll just start mindlessly ticking. So we really, really like the discipline of just a few short, sharp, multiple choice or single choice questions. And one of the ones we found that has great predictive power that anybody could ask on a one shot to loads of their staff at once is is um, my managers have realistic expectations of me. The extent to which people answer that question positively is really important because once people feel that expectations are unrealistic, then we find that they are more likely, for instance, to take time off work sick um, or to feel less happy in their job. And so that's a really simple multiple choice question. My managers have re realistic expectations of me, strongly agree, agree, neither agree nor disagree, and then the disagree options. And you can get the answers to that super, super quick, and it will give you a good idea of where your staff are at any moment in time. But other than that, open choice, it's going to take you a long time to analyze it. So we tend to stay away from it, although I know other people uh, disagree. Um, but I don't know about you, Chris, whether you found that there are certain types of questions when you're dealing with, with things like this that make a difference for people. Um it's good um a, a good a good sort of question I, I think what i've i think what i've found is is that sometimes I, I think the multiple choice is better um because it's it's easier for people to respond to i think i would say more from um my experiences are that if you if you have lots of questions open questions um then you've got to, you've got to you've got to put a lot of time and effort into analyzing those and you know, you may not necessarily come to a, a good sort of general uh, conclusion. Um, you just got lots of different opinions and and thoughts. So I think, you know, from a survey perspective, like you you utilise a multiple choice. I think that's probably the better way to go. We've certainly never found a question that we couldn't find some way to make into a multiple choice. 
and that when you get the results, you then can't use really quite quickly. Whereas if we did lots of open questions, the amount of time it would take to analyze through everything would actually be quite difficult. And if nothing else, the multiple choice can usually get you into the right area and then you could go away and do more interviews with people on top of that. But certainly the discipline of coming up with no more than three multiple choice questions about any topic that you could ask either customers or staff, I think is a really, really good one to get into. So I think in, you know, when you asked me that question, I was sort of thinking of you know, the kind of evaluation questionnaires for, for, for courses or programs that we've run in the past. And, uh, and I generally you know, think you know, oft, often if you ask for kind of a, an open response, you actually get a blank box. <laughs> but if you ask for multiple choice, you get them ticked. So it, sometimes that, you know, that's worthwhile. Often it's not. Um, people just want to get yeah. out of the room and uh, and get on to what they need to do next. And also, they, there's, a, there's a difficulty if you're asked with openness because you have to then start to moderate what you're thinking. It might be that you feel you have to be polite. It might be that you feel you have to use a correct way of addressing somebody. You might want to use somebody's name, but you can't quite remember it. And the pressure on the person then to try and conform gets quite high and they lose the fact that there's just one usually piece of information that somebody wants. And that's why things like the Net Promoter Score, which is used by so many businesses, simply would you recommend us and a score from um, zero up to 10 is just the, one of the simplest, easiest ways of a gauge in terms of whether or not you're doing the right things. And, you know, net promoter score is something for people to look out for. That question of would you recommend as a simple numerical answer, there's a little calculation that you do and it gives you your net promoter score, which you compare to other businesses. It's just brilliant. It's one of the best ways, I think, of doing these kind of uh, surveys. Yeah, yeah. I also use, I use that actually when you know coaching quite often with people is you know ask them you know how they they, they feel about something but also get them to kind of score it on a on a scale of one to ten so you kind of get a sense mm-hmm. of you know how important it is to them um, and I think that's quite quite helpful verbally as well sometimes people can get a bit yeah, of a measure yeah we actually in the classroom. We used to use it in the classroom. It was a classic one with, with students. If you had a student who was really struggling, and so they might be being sent to see you as their homeroom or form room teacher every day at the end of school. And I might say to my students, look, I can see you had a bit of a challenging day today. What's our plan for tomorrow? And then I'd say to him, how confident on a score of 1 to 10 are you that you can do this? And if he picked yeah. 6 or 7 or any score, really, you would say, what, could, what one thing could we do to nudge that one more score up? And yes. he might say something like, don't sit me next to John. <laughs> and then we would try and do that. And, and gradually, I think that net promoter score or that question, simple numerical scale, nudges people further up. But if I had said to him, what could I do tomorrow to make you more confident? I suspect he would have said nothing. But because he only had to think about one nudge up a scale, a numerical scale, it suddenly became a lot easier. And you're right, this kind of verbal questioning as well with these very simple multiple choice questions, it really, really helps to lower the stakes sometimes in what can be difficult conversations. Yeah, definitely. I think you can also, with, with what you just, that example you describe, you, you, can, you can viscerally sometimes get a sense of... Um, you know where somebody is with something so I, I utilize that a lot I have a sort of methodology that I use to help people while coaching identify their purpose in life and um, we create this craft this statement but it has to also at, at a deep level resonate with them and you know I'll, I'll ask people saying is that you know is that statement you is that you know kind of why you're here and uh, they say oh yeah yeah that's me and I say well on a scale of one to ten you know you know how 
you know, how perfect a fit is that? And they'll say, oh, um, probably an eight. So then, then like you do, well, what would make it a 10? You know, what we need to change, what needs to, what needs to shift to make that a 10? And then you work, work at it until eventually you get to a, a 10 and everything's very congruent. So it's quite, it is quite a powerful mm-hmm. um, methodology. Um, I wonder, what are the, you, have you any... Come. Sorry, come on. I was just going to say, one of the challenges, of course, might be, could you come up with a multiple choice set of things where if you said to them, of these things on the list, which one would make you more confident to go up that scale by one? Just going back to the idea of having a list ready for people. And it's not always appropriate for coaching clients, but it goes to this question of sometimes just having a ready list of five or six things where people can very quickly pick one can also really help move those conversations on too. So it was just a little challenge. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) So what... what, what, um... You know, what survey platforms would you recommend to people for their surveys? I know you've built your own, but um, there are all sorts of different uh, tools out there, aren't there, which can help you do this uh, easily and collect the information? Yeah, absolutely. So obviously, TeachTap's working with teachers, and we are looking at building out now TAPs for other professions as well. So we've got people starting to come to us, and we're, we're looking at how we do that for others. But you know, it's as simple as using something like Google Forms, which actually we do use ourselves when we're surveying users who've dropped out of the app. We will send out to people an email saying, we notice that you're no longer using it. Could you fill in this other form? And actually, it's just a Google Form survey. Um, SurveyMonkey is obviously the famous one. We worked with Typeform. I think that's a really, really nice interface where it makes people feel more like they're being talked to. It's got more of a chatbot element to it. And then you've got the really big software companies, people like Ask-A-Test and Qualtrics, which will help embed things into your own software platform or your own website. And if you're running a big community site or your website gets a lot of traffic, why not ask one or two questions a day? You might not get that many answers, but any information that you do get is immediately going to help you identify pain points, identify who's coming to your website. And the more information you can get from your customers, I just think the better that you can serve them. So I would suggest all of those things, Google Forms, SurveyMonkey, Typeform, Ask a Test and Qualtrics are all ones um, that I've used the first three and certainly had lots of people mention the last two and say that they were very good. I guess also what it demonstrates, I suppose, is, is how interesting people are in you if they take the time to fill out, fill out a survey. And particularly if you, you can see who that information comes from, it, you know, it gives a sense as to you know, people who might potentially be interested in your services. Definitely. I mean, the, there is something, I think, about, about the interest, but also it works the other way, right? You know, we, we weren't sure when we built this thing, were teachers going to want to answer it? We thought it would only be around a thousand users, maybe, and that would be enough for a representative sample for a news story. We're now up to 6,000 daily users and growing, and the teachers love it because they love being asked. It's really important to your customers that they also feel that you care about their voice. And so as long as you're then acting on, on that, um, I think it, it builds the relationship both ways. You know they're interested in you, but crucially, they know you're interested in them and that you are genuinely there to serve their needs. And that's what makes it such a nice symbiotic relationship rather than it just being, you, you know, you come to us, you buy something and you go away. It kind of goes round and round. And that's really, really positive for everybody, I think. I love the way that you've you've created something which is is providing a real genuine service. You kind of, but we're having 6,000 teachers now using TeacherTap. They wouldn't be using it if they're not seeing benefit from it. And I guess they, by doing that regularly as well, any cynicism behind doing it must have been, must have been dropped. Um, 
so I, I, it's it gives them a voice as you said doesn't it it gives them an opportunity to to um come together and kind of almost collaborate uh, and and get a sense about how everybody else is feeling yeah they they very much see it i think as a as a community and it does a whole raft of things. Obviously, we've asked questions about why they like being on there because the joy of being able to ask questions every day on the app is you can do that. And we know that they like being able to see the results. Now, that's quite unusual on our platform. And I think that's worth bearing in mind if you do run surveys. People will take part, but they do want to see the results. Now, that can be quite risky for a business. You might want to keep the data secret and hidden away. But that's silly because the people who are telling you this information already know. They know if they're unhappy. And if they're telling you they're unhappy, they're telling their friends. So there's no point trying to hide this data or keep it secret. You know, your customers and your audiences already know that anyway. So they love being able to see the results. I think in our case, we also try and uh, give them a little bit of learning. So we always recommend a daily read. And that's funny because that's, that's sort of the reward, if you like, for taking part in the survey. And at first, people didn't think that was really a reward. Why would a recommended read be seen as something positive? But everybody wants to get better at their jobs. And as taking part in TeachTap helps them do that by learning what's going on in the profession and looking at this one, two, three-minute read each day gives them a little bit of professional development. So I think anyone who is asking people to take part in surveys do also remember there needs to be some delight at the end of the process. Obviously, others in market research will reward with vouchers or tokens or money, but it can also be that by feeling part of research or feeling that you're learning something, that that is also a really positive uh, step when you're taking part in a survey community. So there's, there's lots more to this than just, you know, getting a bit of information out of somebody. Excellent. You, men- you mentioned that you were, you were you know, talking to people or people connecting with you about possibly you know, moving teacher tap into other sectors. You know, what sort of people would you like to, to connect with you? Yeah, I think if there are people out there who, who feel as if there is another either profession or a particular group of people that would benefit from having an app where each day they're answering questions, they're learning from the results, and there's something that they could be reading up on, then we'd be really interested to look at partnering on that because um, there is lots of opportunity. And now that we've done this for two and a half years with TeachTap, we kind of know how it works well. We're growing it um, both internationally and across the UK, but also now could we help other groups but we've got to figure out where else you can go because we're all from a school's background so we know that really really well but how we actually take the the system that we've built and make it work in other professions and for other organizations is something we're really interested in so i'd love to connect with other people um, who think this sounds like something they'd be interested in in looking at I, th- I think there's so so many professions that would would value this uh, I think uh, I'm thinking of multiple, and uh, uh, so we will have a have a kind of a little chat afterwards because um, I, I could just see this working in in, in many professional professions. Um, yeah, just just I think the the opportunity is huge. I reckon. Yeah, yeah. and, and also teachers. just how many exciting. people could be learning every day, right? They could be learning yeah, from absolutely. these questions and learning. We we our strapline is ask, answer, learn, and we promise that you will learn something new every day. And I just think everyone in every job, if that was the case, that for three minutes a day, you learn something new about your profession, then we would all be better off. Fantastic. So do you have any final messages that you'd like to leave us with? 
that was probably it. I probably jumped the gun a little bit too soon, didn't I? <laughs> but it is, it is just, I think, you know, we talked earlier about a fictional future and the idea that something could exist or not exist. And if you offer people fresh fruit, they're going to say a world in which fresh fruit exists in their office is better than one where it doesn't. And as I see it, by creating TeacherTap, we've created a world in which it is possible in two or three minutes a day to get better at your job, learn something and make the whole education community, be that businesses, policymakers, politicians, get better at their jobs. If we could all live in a world where every profession that happens every single day, I just don't believe that the world wouldn't be a better place. And that sounds slightly mad and evangelical, but I don't think anybody sets up a product and does what we all did. You know, I left being editor of Schools Week. Becky left her job as a professor at the Got Institute of Education to get, come and run this thing. We're going to get cut off. I'm, I'm going to no stop you there. Brilliant talking to you. I've really, really enjoyed it and so much value for people. Go to teachertap.co.uk to find out more. That's teacher, T-A-P-P.co.uk. Um, Twitter to reach out to teachertap is teachertap. Um, and next week, I'm talking to Rupert Honeywell. Um, Rupert, we're going to talk about the 12 pillars of, of elevating and building your business. Um, Rupert's a fantastic guy. Also loves surveying as well. So nice fit with uh, with the show. Once again, a huge thank you to Laura and to TeacherTap. Any questions or comments, do send them to me at chris at chriscooper.co.uk. Thank you for listening to the Chris Cooper Business Elevation Show. Please join your host, Chris Cooper, again next Friday at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Be more. Achieve more.